So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about Kairos, about uh, us being in a, you know, in a God-appointed time. Okay, it's on the screen. In the in the word the Greek word with the Greek word Kairos in, in English, it means literally an opportune. It's on the screen there, a favorable moment or an opportune moment or literally opportunity. There's two Greek words used in the New Testament for the, for time. There's this Chronos where we get the word chronology. Uh, you know, chronological from, which just talks about the measurement of time. And there's also the word kairos, which just talks about God's appointed time. It's a time that God's set aside. So we've been talking about this as a church over the last few weeks, that, that we're in a God-appointed time. This, 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 this world is in a God-appointed time. There's a lot of things going on um, in, in our world. And, and despite all the confusion, and you know, as we've just been praying about Ukraine, despite all the confusion and all that's going on around the world... There's so much confusion about a lot of things. A lot of things are shifting. A lot of things that people put their hope in are, uh, are shifting in lots of different ways, you know, economically and, and health-wise. We've had a worldwide pandemic. You know, all those things that none of us probably ever expected. And maybe we should have expected in the sense of Jesus said about what the end times would be like. But, you know, almost took us by surprise as a country and as a world. You know, we're in a God-appointed time. Now, God is not causing all those bad things. Okay, don't misunderstand me. But, but Jesus predicted those things would happen. He said, this is what the end time is going to look like. But, you know, and as the darkness gets gray, this is an opportunity for us to focus our eyes on Jesus. You know, for the light to shine even brighter. Amen. For, for, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon, upon the earth. And I'm sure you've, you've seen in different, different places. And um, I'm sure you've, some of you might have heard about the Asbury Revival in, in, in America. And there's different things that happen on campus in America. Praise God for this stuff. Praise God what God's doing. You know, some people, it's just, I'm just, just, just saying this reality, it's just my angle on it. You know, some people get critical about this stuff. It's like, how can you criticize the Holy Spirit being poured out amongst people? This is crazy. This is what God is, and it's not what God said he would do. It's just not what, what was said in Acts chapter 2 by, by Peter, Acts chapter 3 by Peter, when he was quoting, you know, Joel, Acts chapter 2, sorry, when he quoted Joel, you know, said that in his last days my spirit will be poured out amongst all people. And great, young people have been set on fire for Jesus. Wow, if we can't celebrate that, what are we, we going to celebrate, right? But people's lives have been changed by the, by the Holy Spirit. And people have come to know, come to know Jesus and people have been healed and set free. And, and we just, you know, as a church, we, we very much you know, believe in that. And in, in his last days, his spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And that's what this area needs, amen? That's what the water side needs, is this Holy Spirit to be poured out amongst all flesh. That's what's going to change people's lives, amen? Praise God. So there we go. I wasn't going to say all that, but I did. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so um, yeah, we're in a God-appointed time, and so and that's what we talked about the first week. Second week, we talked about knowing our purpose in that, that God has called us with a purpose. God has a plan for our lives. He has a purpose for our lives. None of us are here by accident. God, God has something he wants to do in you and through you. Amen? Amen? And then last week, we talked about knowing our response in that, that, that we need to respond to that. That means that's you know, it's all very well knowing that God has a purpose for our lives, but if we do nothing about it, or we're disobedient, or just don't follow it, or just are just ignorant of it, um, then God's purpose is still aren't going to be revealed, right? It has to be has to be outworked in our lives, and that starts with us making making a, a, a choice to respond to it. Amen. So last week we we took we looked uh, so we looked specifically at Nehemiah and the story in in it was recorded in Nehemiah where he was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And how they have some great uh, kind of victories, and how the people were people were with him, and you know, and that's our response. Amen. I believe that God, spiritually, God wants to rebuild walls uh, in this in this area. Amen. And and across this nation, 
know, a nation with a great Christian history, that's a, a reality. Many of our laws are based, and this is true across the West, isn't it? Many of the laws are based on either Old Testament laws or New Testament laws or stuff that Jesus said, and whether people acknowledge that or even realize that, that's a reality. Um, it's a very foundation, foundation of our of our nation. I was reading a, a guy recently, as you know, when my wife Wendy's a history teacher. I was reading a guy called Tom Holland, um, not the actor who plays Spider-Man. <laughs> well, that Tom Holland. Okay. There's a well-known historian who's not a Christian, but he's a well-known historian called Tom Holland. And he, but he's very, very pro-Christianity. He's not a Christian himself, but he's very pro the whole history of Christianity. And, and he kind of talks about that and and talks about how the Roman Empire was and you know, how Germany wanted to restore the Roman Empire. That was kind of Hitler's vision. And kind of... Um, and how basically he talks about how everything, he said everything that's good about the West is because of Christianity. It's what people don't understand. If, if it hadn't been for Christianity, it hadn't been for Jesus and what Jesus challenged, like the Sermon on the Mount, was totally countercultural to what people thought at the time. Thought the role of women, thought about the role of people generally, thought the role of kids, was, everyone was okay with slavery and all that, all that kind of stuff. And... You know, and the rich got away with whatever they got away with, and the poor just had totally different lives. The rich did whatever they wanted, and that was kind of how the Roman Empire worked, and how the Greek Empire had worked before that. Hitler tried to restore kind of like his vision of the, the Roman Empire, and kind of was obsessed by by that kind of history. Um, so Tom Holland talks about that. He says everything good about the West, everything we have good about the West, not everything about the West is good, but everything that is good about the West, he said, is because of because of our Christian culture. And our Christian heritage, and because Jesus counteracted that, and he even talks about that's one of the reasons why Hitler hated the Jews. He even talks about that. It was because Jesus, as a Jew, obviously he was the Messiah, but as a Jew, had counteracted that culture. That saying, this is not okay, this is not, this, we might have heard this, this might be the way that we're living, but this is not right. This is not what the kingdom of God looks like. So that's an interesting historical perspective on it, isn't it? And this is a guy who's not a Christian, but recognizes. Um, you know, the role that Christianity has played here in this country, in the West, other Western countries, is interesting, right? Anyway, so we talked last week about our response and how we need to respond, respond to God like, like the people did with, with Nehemiah. And I want to say some more stuff about Nehemiah uh, this morning. So we talked about using, doing our best with the gifts that God's given us. You know, to rebuild a wall in this area, it needs our talents, needs our gifting. We talk about different stuff we can do as a church, with different things you can get involved in uh, church-wise. You know, to people who are consumed and not consumers, that's like a whole message in itself. There. The difference between being in church, the difference between being a consumer and being consumed. Hugely different. But I just want to share some more from uh, Nehemiah just to kind of encourage you this morning. So here we go. So this is from Nehemiah 2, uh, verses 4 to 10. It's going to be quite a few verses this morning, but it's important that we understand uh, the background here, scripture-wise. This is Nehemiah 2, verse 4 to 10. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I, so this is Nehemiah writing in first person, then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen, queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? If it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, that's the area they're in, so that they may provide me safe contact, provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. So, so, so Nehemiah 
was born for such a time as this. You know, of course, that verse is from, from the book of Esther. So we talked about Esther as well. You know, we're on this planet. We're, we're here and we're on this earth and you're in this church for such a time as this. Amen? God knows what he's doing. Anyway, let's move on. Verse 9. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And the king had also sent armies, officers and cavalry with me. And this is one I particularly want to focus on this morning. Verse 10 it says, when Sanballat, oh, great name, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, so heard about what they were going, their plan was and to rebuild the walls, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. So what I want to talk about this morning is that when you do anything for God, when you rebuild walls for God, there will always be opposition. There will always be opposition. I'm sure you never fear that or worry about it, but I just want to just, just give you some reality, maybe a reality check this morning. There will always be opposition when you try and do anything for God, when you, when you, when you take a risk, when you, when you step out for God, there will always be opposition. In fact, we should be more surprised if we don't face opposition. If it's almost too easy, you kind of think, uh, is this God's will or not? <laughs> it's almost too easy. I don't know. We should almost be more surprised if we don't face opposition. And those could take different forms. They could be opposition from our circumstances and just what's going on. Um, and kind of issues around us. We just feel like we're being opposed. We feel like everything's just so tricky. It could be even opposition from people sometimes. People don't understand what we're doing for God and, and like, are you sure you want to be doing that? And of course you need people speaking into your life, but sometimes you don't have the right people speaking into your life. That's reality. Sometimes opposition can even come from within us, can't it? That's reality. You know, we talk about this a lot as a church. I talk about it a lot from the front about the battle that goes on, on, on between, inside us, a battle of the mind, that battle between who, who's in charge of your life. Is it your, is it your flesh or is it your spirit? And that's, that's the key to the Christian life. It's just making your flesh subject to your spirit. It's what Jesus did on, on a daily basis, out, day by day, hour by hour. Jesus made his flesh subject to the spirit. That's, that's why he was victorious in every situation, right? He made his flesh subject to his spirit. It's like what his, his decision was... was no, I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit does. Whatever my flesh may want to do. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way. That's what it says in Hebrews. So, we, so I just take that as read. Jesus was tempted in lots of different ways. But he was without sin, amen? Because his flesh, he always made his flesh subject to his spirit. So sometimes the opposition comes from even within us, in a battle within us. Sometimes from circumstances. Sometimes from, sometimes from people. Sometimes from the enemy. We don't have a real enemy. Satan, the devil. You know, and... I want to particularly talk about opposition from the enemy, but God wants us to be victorious. So this kind of part four, which is ending this series, is called Knowing His Victory. So we've done about knowing the time, knowing our, knowing our response. Oh, that was last week, wasn't it? Knowing, <laughs> knowing our response. Um, and this week we can talk about knowing his victory. It's about, about knowing the time, knowing our purpose was the second week, and we did knowing our response last week, and today knowing his victory. Amen. God wants us to be victorious. Amen. But what the enemy will try to do is when you try and do anything for God is he will try and intimidate you. And this is exactly what, what we read here in Nehemiah, basically what happens. So I just want to just encourage you with some stuff this morning. So this is in Nehemiah 4, verse 1 to 12. It says this. When Sambalat, so this is the same guys again. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it will break down their wall of stones. 
Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of builders, of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. And there's more opposition again. Verse 7. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead, and the gaps were being closed, they became very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So there's ongoing opposition from these guys with the interesting names, Tobiah and Sabanat and, and the Ammonites and others, who were opposing what Nehemiah and the Israelites were doing. But God actually brings a great victory in all, in all this. But we just have to be aware, aware of this. You know, we have to be aware of the tactics of the enemy. We never fear the enemy in any way. Now, the Bible says that the enemy goes around like a, pouring, uh, pouring, like a roaring lion. He isn't a lion. He's not a lion in any sense of the word. Okay? He goes around like, it's important to understand that, it's like a roaring lion. It's like the dominion of darkness. You know, we've brought out the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. We haven't been brought out of the kingdom of darkness. Satan is not the king of anything. We've been brought out of the dominion of darkness amen, into the kingdom of light. But Satan goes around like a roaring lion or prowls around like a roaring lion thinking he's kind of like, calls all the shots and we know he's totally defeated, amen, in Jesus' name because of what Jesus did at the cross and is through his resurrection, amen. But what happens here is the intimidation tactics, they start to work at first or especially amongst some of the people and this is what Satan, Satan tries to do is we rebuild walls if you want to do anything for God, if you want to do anything, for, anything in, this, in this area, anything through us as a church, then the Satan will try and bring intimidation tactics. So verse 10, so fear starts to affect the Israelites. The intimidation tactics start to work. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Jerusalem said, Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it will see us, we will see right there among them, we'll kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who live near came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. That's the kind of encouragement you want, isn't it? <laughs> wherever you turn, you're going to get attacked. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks. Thank you for that. But the fear, you can see the tactics starting to work, isn't it? So they had this huge intimidation tactics that the enemies had, and it was starting to work. Now, Nehemiah does well in it all, but some of the Israelites were starting to get affected by all this. You know, they started, they started to, to think that they're never going to uh, be victorious. They started saying, verse 10, the strength of the laborers is giving out so much rubble, we're never going to be able to rebuild the wall, we're never going to be able to do this. Ever, if you ever hung around with people, it always just think that something can't be done frustrating <laughs> as a church we very much have a culture it's one of our leadership values actually that we get we get we get things done and let's never ever get into that place where where we where we can you know kind of get down about a situation well that well that can't be done that's too difficult you know god specializes in things that are too difficult right yeah. ephesians 3 verse 20 says you can do immeasurably more more than we can ask or imagine amen nothing nothing is impossible for god even if practically a situation looks impossible nothing's impossible for god amen but fear is one of Satan's big, biggest weapons. We just have to wake up to this. Not, 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 and, uh, and I said not, not fear the fear in one sense, but just be aware of that's what Satan does. There's a big difference between fear and faith, isn't there? And faith, faith is, a, is a, you know, I used this when we were talking about uh, during the COVID time, about that faith is like the vaccine for fear. So if you want to deal with fear, then what you need is to rise up in faith. That's what we'll deal with. That's what will nullify it. That's what will destroy fear is faith. Trust in God in it all. 
you know, you could ask these two questions and they're just coming from two different angles. One's fear, one's faith. You know, if you step out for God and do something different or, you, you know, you plant a church or something like that, you can, one, one angle would be, what if it all goes wrong? But another angle would be, what if it all goes right? I mean, two different angles, two different people looking at exactly the same situation in two different ways, right? In the film um, Apollo 13, I don't know if any of you have seen that, um, which came out in 1995, makes me feel old now. <laughs> I was just, just an adult then. Anyway, and it's about a true story about what happened in 1970 when Apollo 13, so that's two after the one that landed on the moon, that was Apollo 11, it's Apollo 12, and that's Apollo 13. And, and things went horribly, if you know the story, it's all a true story, it all, everything went horribly wrong in space, they ended up landing on the moon, and they had to come up with this big plan in space to get the, get the spaceship home. It's a, it's a brilliant movie, it's worth watching, it's one of Jack's. He's on there. He's in it's one of Jack's favourite films. Anyway, but there's something that there's something that really always struck a chord with me at the end of that. There's relevance to me saying all this. It struck a chord with it where there's a guy who's kind of the charge of NASA, and he makes this great statement because it's kind of all this fear about it's all going to go horribly wrong, or the people are going to they're going to die in space, we're going to lose all our funding because obviously these things cost billions uh, to fund all this stuff. And, and people are saying, you know, this is going to be NASA's biggest ever disaster. What a, what a disaster this is going to be. And he kind of stands up. And says, no, hang on a minute, I don't believe this is going to be NASA's biggest disaster. This is going to be NASA's finest hour. You know, just a difference in attitude. It was their finest hour. Because it's just amazing what they did in space. And they kind of had to build all this stuff. You know, the movie, they'd be able to build all this stuff in space um, in order to help them get oxygen and kind of stuff and to get them, get them all safely home, which they did. Praise God. But it's just a difference in attitude, right? This is going to be our biggest disaster. No, this is going to be our finest hour. And And... You know, that's the difference between fear and faith. You know, Peter walking on the water is a great example of that. I was talking to a couple of people when we were talking about this uh, during the week, talking about Peter walking on the water. You know, and sometimes Peter comes in for a bit of, bit of stick, and he did uh, certainly have his issues, right? Sometimes Peter comes in for a bit of stick, and goes, oh, no, it's Peter again. You know, kind of saying the first thing comes into his head, and Peter's the one that gets out of the boat again, and, and then he starts drowning because he starts looking at the waves. And I, I can imagine the other disciples, you know what people are like, Oh, look at, look at Peter again, doing it again, showing off again. Uh, but, but the other kind of angle on that is, oh, at least Peter got out of the boat. Yeah. Any of the disciples could have got out of the boat, right? But, but at least Peter did it. So that's the difference. Between, what if it all goes right and what if it all goes wrong? You know, maybe the others were just too intimidated by fear. But what could possibly go wrong? At least Peter was obedient and, and learned a huge lesson through the whole thing. Amen? He was willing to take a risk for Jesus. Now, in, in um, kind of, um, uh, kind of in economic life, if I can put it in that way, or, or you know, financial investment life, and I used to work in a bank, one of the things that's talked about is risk and reward. And everyone has a different, everyone has a different attitude towards risk. And one, one thing you have to do is, a, not so I was qualified as a financial advisor, but I was a mortgage advisor. Um, and one thing you have to do is, is kind of like ask people all the right questions to find out what the element, what the attitude is towards risk. Because people vary hugely what they're willing to risk. But usually, the, the, the people who are willing to make the biggest risk will get the biggest rewards. But, it, but there is a risk element in it. And obviously, if you've got lots of money, then maybe you've got, it's easier to make, take a risk. Obviously, of course, that's true. Okay? Although, you potentially could lose more, I suppose, depending on which angle you look at it. But, but this kind of brings us into the Christian life. If we're going to see rewards, if we're going to see success, if we're going to see, see God accomplishing all he wants to do in us, that's going to mean taking some risks. You know, too many Christians are just risk-averse. This is, my, this is my angle, why I'm saying all this. They're just too risk-averse and, and get, just allow fear to get into their hearts. What, what, what are people going to think? Again, what if it all goes wrong? 
What if I can't do it? What if I look silly? What, 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 you know what I mean? Almost like talking themselves out of the situation. Yeah, but what if God wants to do something with that risk? Maybe God wants to reward you for that risk. It means you take a step of faith. And the thing with, with Nehemiah, he was willing to take risks for God. That's why he was a great, great guy and a, and a great leader. Because he led by example on this. He was willing to take risks for God. And, and, and Nehemiah's response to the intimidation is brilliant. Whilst all the people are kind of like falling about themselves, and we're never going to rebuild it, it's too much rubble. You know, the enemy's going to, uh, going to come and kill us. The, some of the other Israelites are basically telling them that you're going to, you're going to lose. It's a great encouragement. Nehemiah's response is completely different. This is an encouragement to us. Nehemiah 4 verse 13 says this. Therefore, this is what Nehemiah does in response. So therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. That's what we always need to do. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that, that we were aware of the plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore his sword uh, as he worked. That must be hard, wouldn't it? I'm sure they did that, but they didn't manage to build a wall and have a sword at the same time. But the man, the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, if this is Nehemiah's response, so he's already put people in, in charge, he's been strategic, he's thought about we need to defend ourselves, we're going to stand up against his intimidation, he's doing this in faith. Amen? Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Amen? So we continued the work, and half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man his helpers stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even, he, even when he went for water. So they're always prepared, basically, what he's saying. So this was Nehemiah's, what a great response. Well, what a great leader he was. As, as other people were being intimidated, thinking we're going to lose, we're never going to be able to rebuild this wall, we're totally intimidated by the enemy's tactics. Nehemiah's like, no, we're going to be people of faith. This is what God's called us to do. This is our Kairos moment. Amen? This is our God-appointed time. This is God, God's appointed time. Nothing's going to be able to stop what God can do. Amen? Amen. Now, sometimes we just need to feel the... I read a book once that was called this, about feel the fear and just do it anyway. It talked about success. It's an interesting book. I do read the Bible as well, as well as other books, in case you're worried. Okay. But, but it's an interesting book. And what it's about is about successful people in life, you know, whether they're entrepreneurs or whoever they may be, that they all have fear. Everybody has fear or faces fear. Okay? Everybody faces fear, but the really successful people in life are the people who just do it anyway, regardless. Like, well, okay, there's fear here, but I'm still going to do it. Right? But too many people shrink back. And, and therefore don't make those just same decisions that the, that the people who can feel the fear and do it anyway make. So just bring this into a Christian, Christian sense. You know, this is what we need to do. Sometimes maybe you are feeling fear. Maybe there's things that God's, God's calling you to do. Maybe talking to you know, one of your work colleagues about God. It's terrifying. Let's, let's make this stuff real. Maybe that's terrifying, the thought of that. What if, what if they make fun of me? What if they sound stupid? What if they think I'm weird? What if they're not my friend anymore? Well, all those things could happen, possibly. But what if they respond to it? What if it's the very thing they needed to hear? 
What if, what if they've never ever heard anything like that before? They've never even heard about Jesus. What about if you, if you, you say that and they, they, they just have an emotional response and, and, God, and the Holy Spirit starts to work upon the heart? What if that happens? Amen? So this is about just having a different angle, isn't it, on, on, on situations. About responding in faith rather than fear. And Nehemiah's response is, is brilliant. And we have to remember in this, although there's, a, there's an onus on us to have the correct response, it's always God who brings the victory. Amen? Nehemiah always had his focus, focus correct. He wasn't taking any glory for himself. Nehemiah 4, 14 and 15 and verse 20. It says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And your enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and God are frustrated we return to the wall each to our own work. As we just read, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So Nehemiah was full, full of faith. And last week we talked about, and I mentioned it earlier right at the beginning of the message, about the difference between a consume, being consumed and being a consumer when it comes to the things of God or when it comes to church itself. But another, another thing that needs to be talked about is are we a victor or a victim in terms of our mentality? Are we a victor or a victim? And, you know, and I'm saying it's with a great respect to all the people I ever talked about these things, because obviously I talked to a lot of people pastorally about all sorts of things. But one thing I have discovered is, is what a big issue it can be when people have a victim mentality. And, and, and they carry that. Some of it can be stuff that's happened in their childhood, and they're very real things or whatever it might be. But it kind of carry it through right through their adulthood about thinking they're a victim. You know, woe is me. I'm never going to be anything. God couldn't do anything with my life because I've just been a victim. And, you know, and like I said, and I'm not denying realities of what goes on in people's lives because some stuff that people deal with is, is very deep and, and painful, etc. But, but God wants to change that mentality in you. This is something that God can heal, first of all, something that God can heal, and it's something that God can change. I'm thinking about these situations. Because Nehemiah refused to see himself, see himself as a victim. He saw himself as a victor in God. Amen? He saw what God can do. So that's why Nehemiah was focused on God. You know, he focused on the problem solver, not the problem. This is the issue, again, and too, too many people in the Christian life, they focus on their problems, not on the problem solver. Amen? Not on the one who can deal with their problems and, and can deal with any situation. Amen? So let's never ever see ourselves as victims. Amen? Even if you're dealing with some real difficult stuff in your life right now, and that may be very, very real, we're not denying those realities, but what I would say, but you're not a victim in any way, shape, or form. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You see yourself as a victim. You're, you're a victor in God. Jesus paid a monumental price so that you could be a victor in him. Amen? The biggest price he could possibly pay. It says you've been bought at a price. That's what the scripture says. Amen? But then the enemies of... We'll continue with the story as we start bringing this to a close. The enemies of Nehemiah, they refuse to give up. Which is often it's another tactic we need to be aware of. But sometimes the enemy doesn't stop. And sometimes complete victory is, is, is a journey. So here's kind of another thing I, I, I've observed. It's, it's too many people, they just give up too easily. And, and they would see the victory. They just kept on going in, in God and just kept on trusting him. Amen? Sometimes the faith journey can be a bit of an up and down journey. Not that God's up and down. God's always, obviously, fully consistent in who he is. And totally trustworthy, totally faithful. So God's never up and down. But sometimes the journey of faith can be up and down, can't it? Because sometimes things don't happen as quick as we think they should. Maybe they look different to how we think they should. Maybe there's a, not a prayer answer that we think should have been answered or answered in a different way. And that could be the journey of faith, couldn't it, sometimes. But Nehemiah was great in this because he just continued to trust God in it all. So more opposition comes, Nehemiah 6. So when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, 
Gershom the Arab, so these same guys again, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time I had not uh, set the door and the gates. Sambalat and Gershom sent me this message, come, let us meet together in, the, in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messages with them, to them with this reply, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. So Nehemiah's great in this, again, he just refuses to be distracted. So again, so the enemies have kind of gone from, from intimidation, changing tactics slightly, still intimidation in it, but now it's about distraction. Well, if we can just get him away from the work, if we just, just kind of get him over here to the valley, the plain of Ono, what a great place, isn't it? Sometimes it feels like we're in the valley of Ono. <laughs> oh no, here again. But anyway, but that's what it's called, the plain of Ono. But if the, if, if the devil can get you to the plain of Ono, he can, he can distract you. And get you off course and get your eyes off of, off of God and what God wants us to do, God wants us to do, what wants to do in and through our lives and distract us. But Nehemiah makes a great response in this. He says, so, so I'm carrying on a great project. I can't, I can't come down. Sorry. Exactly, I'm busy. Why, why should the work stop while I leave and go down to you? Amen? Now, if you're busy for God, just keep on being busy for God. Don't let people, don't let people distract you from now. All the things of the world just distract us amen but nehemiah just refused refused to get distracted so keep on going keep on being consistent in it don't don't give up you know the enemies aren't the ones in charge god god's got this i'm not going to be distracted by any any intimidation tactics or, or distraction tactics amen then the enemies if if you read on enemies send a kind of specific message to nehemiah which is full of lies remember what time to look at that but we'll move on to verse nine Nehemiah writes this, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. It will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. A great response again. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deleah, the son of Mahatabel, maybe, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. They're not giving up, are they? By night they're coming to kill you. So, so they've gone from kind of intimidation to distraction to now wanting to kill him. Just, let's just remove him completely. Let's just get rid of him. This is, our, this is our new tactic. But I said, should a man like me, what a great response, but would a man like me, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. And I realized that God had not sent him, but he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sabala had actually hired him. So this, basically this was a guy who was telling lies, false prophet, and he'd been hired by those bad guys, Tobiah and Sambalat, to say it. He'd been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. And he goes on to pray this. Remember Tobiah and Sabalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noah died and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. And in verse 15, so the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Amen? Look how God just totally turns that situation around because Nehemiah... Nehemiah refused to give in to the enemy's tactics of either intimidation or distraction or he just wanted, wanted to kill him and t- take him outright. Nehemiah prayed, now strengthen my hands. And sometimes that just needs to be our prayer. God, God, I just need your strength. You know, the Bible says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Now, should we do life in our own strength? Absolutely not. If you're trying to do life in your own strength, I would, I would strongly encourage you as a pastor to stop doing that in your own strength. We're not called to do life in our own strength. If you're finding, finding life half, hard, but that's the reality uh, of life sometimes. But we aren't supposed to do it on our own. 
Amen? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Nehemiah continued, had a continued refusal to be intimidated and an ongoing faith response. He continued to be persistent and just be consistent in who he was. And then a great victory comes about. So the, the, this massive job seemed like it was just impossible to do. It was completed in 52, not even two months, completed in 52 days, just a matter of weeks. God brought total victory. It was a Kairos moment. And then and God, is, is God is especially doing, he totally turns the situation around. By, by the great victory that he brings, all the enemies then ended up being afraid. Totally turns the situation around. Because all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized it was God. But basically they gave up. It's like, <laughs> we got no chance of fighting against these Israelites because, because their, God is, their God is on their side. Because God's blessing have been upon rebuilding. So there's a whole lot of lessons for us in this. A whole lot of lessons for us personally and lessons for us and lessons for us as a church. But I just want to encourage you to know the time that we're in. Know your purpose in it. To know your response. I encourage you to catch up on those messages if you missed the last three weeks. Or any of the last three weeks. And to know his, know his victory um, in it all. But there's so many lessons in this not to give up. Just to keep on going. To keep on trusting God. And, and doing anything for God is, is a risk. Isn't it? Any, doing anything for God is a risk. But, but, but there's a huge reward in that, in, in, in what God blesses. Because God loves faith. God, God looks around the earth to look for faithful people, people who are going to trust him, people who are going to, people are going to step out. That's who, who God blesses. Amen? That's who, who God uses. Amen? I've said this from the front before, and it's, it's, a, it's a big statement, but I think it's a true statement. And, and God loves everybody the same. Everyone would agree with that, right? God loves everyone the same. It's John 3.16 is fundamental to the gospel. And God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But does God trust, his, but here's a question off the back of that. Does God trust everyone the same? Big question. I don't think God does trust everyone the same. Now, don't misunderstand the question. But what I'm saying there is what God is looking for is for people of faith. Does God trust everyone the same? Well, some people, if they... Um, you know, for example, if they were put in charge of a church, let's say they're a really, really, really young Christian, or just young in the faith, you know, the Bible talks about this, is you shouldn't put a young person, or not a young person, sorry, a person who's young in the faith, in charge of a church. Because, obviously, they could, that could cause a whole load of issues, right? I would agree. Because they're, they're not mature, they don't know how to deal with situations. It could fall flat on its face, right? So, so that's, a, that's a reality. But God wants us to step out in faith. God wants us to step out in faith for him. So, of course, there is, is a, a reality to that, but it could fall back on the face in, in that particular situation. But, the, but God will use anyone because he's looking for faithful people. God looks at the heart. Amen? You know, I love the story of David in the way that God, God cho- chose King David and, and gets all his brothers and gets them all before him. And what's interesting and so often gets missed in the story is, is, is Jesse, David's dad, and there's all his brothers and, and they're all brought before him. And, and even Jesse's dad doesn't even believe in David. Jesse didn't even go and get David, if you read the story. He didn't, didn't even go and get him. So even his own dad. Was, so when, when, you know, when Samuel the prophet comes to anoint the new king, even Jesse hasn't thought about David. Right? He's out with the sheep, that's what it says. And he gets all, he gets all the other brothers, probably in age order, because that's how they did things then. Probably in age order. It was like, well, is it him, is it him, is it him, is it him? And then Samuel gets to the end, and was like, well, it's none of these guys. Have you got someone else? And obviously Samuel knew, because Holy Spirit was speaking through him. But like, is, is, there, is there somebody else? And then and God goes and gets uh, David, and, and this, this was David's guy. 
Amen. Ken Kairos for such a time as this. David was called for such a time as this. And what it says is that God, God looks at people in a different way. He looks for the heart. Amen. He looks for character and he, he looks for heart and, it, and he looks for faith. And you see that again and again, don't you, through David's life, the way he responded to Goliath. You know, and he'd been out with the sheep and defended them against the bears and the lions, which Israel used to have, doesn't have now, obviously. They've had bears and lions and, and other wild animals like that then. And you know, David has seen what God could do in any situation. Has seen his protection, has seen his, his faithfulness. Amen? And if it's like, well, if, if God's done that then, he's going to do it again against this, against this giant, and of course there's a great victory, comes as a result. But it's because of his faith response. So let's be people full of faith. Let's not get distracted. Let's not get intimidated. So when to step out of the boat for God, whatever God's calling you to do, God will give you, will empower you and equip you, will give everything you need in that situation to bring his victory. Don't see yourself as a victim. See yourself as a victor in, in God. Yeah. Amen? Let's be people who are, who are consumed and, and not consumers. Let's get these, things, get these things right. Let's stand to our feet. God is so good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you are so, so good. It's so wonderful. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the story of Nehemiah. Lord, for what you did, Lord, Lord, with him and the Israelites, Lord, in, in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in that kind of record time. Lord, you brought a great victory. Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you decided to bring great victories in our own lives. Lord, as, as we trust you and as we are obedient to you. Lord, we want to be people, Lord, that you can trust. Lord, we want to be people, Lord, who are after your own heart. As you said that about King David, who was a man after your own heart. Lord, we said that about Nehemiah, who was after your heart. He wasn't going to get distracted. He wasn't going to get intimidated by the enemy or distracted by the enemy or, or fear the enemy. He was just going to stay focused on you, to keep trusting you. And even if other people were, were, were giving in to those tactics, he wasn't, he wasn't going to do that. And I pray that we'll all be people who are not in any way intimidated by the enemy or, or circumstances or situations. Lord, you've got a calling and a purpose for all of our lives. Lord, there's so much, Lord, you want to desire to do in us, Lord, and through us. Lord, we say, have your, have your way. Lord, may your will be done on, on earth in us as it is in heaven. Do what you desire to do in us, Lord Jesus. Lord, change us, mold us, Lord God. Lord, if we're calling into, into new, new ministries or we just need to step out the boat or maybe it's just talking to someone at work. Maybe that is stepping out of the boat for us. Lord, I pray you just give us such courage in that. Lord, may we not fear, Lord, all the things that could possibly go wrong, but Lord, focus on you who can make all things right. Lord, and what you can do in a situation. Lord, use us, Lord God. Lord, we don't just we want to be full of purpose. We want you to use us for your purposes. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, and we refuse to be, Lord, as a body of people, Lord, we refuse to be intimidated by the, by the tactics of the enemy or our circumstances or situations around us. Lord, to be people of faith that trust you. Thank you there is nothing you cannot do. Thank you there is no person, Lord, you cannot use. There's no situation you cannot change. Lord, just use us for your purpose. Use us for our, your glory. Lord, may we recognize this Kairos moment that we're in. Lord, may each and every one of us, Lord, live full of purpose. Lord, be used for your purpose. Recognize the time that we're in. Lord, to respond to that purpose. Lord, and to know your victory in every situation. I pray that be true about every single person, Lord, that's here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Use us, Lord God. Lord, thank you for the honor of serving you. 
for the honor of being used by you. What a great God you are. Praise you, Jesus. I just want to pray a second prayer as well this morning. I just want to give an opportunity if anyone doesn't yet know God, or maybe just kind of gone off track in your relationship with God and, and things aren't what, the, what they should be, and God's speaking to you this morning, challenging you about that, then the good news is you can put things right this morning. You can put things right with God and just get back on track with him. So I'm just going to pray a prayer, and I just encourage you, if you're in those situations, if you don't yet know God, if you don't know what it is to be a, be a Christian, or if you never invited God into your life, you can do that now, or you've gone off track and need to get things back on, on track with God, you can do that now. So I'd encourage you to pray this prayer and to mean it with all of your heart and with all of who you are. And I promise you and guarantee you that God will come into your life. You can become a Christian this morning. You can know what it is to have, have God walking with you. He promised that he'll never leave us or forsake us. You can know that promise for yourself. You can know the promise of eternal life when you leave this earth, as we all will at some point. You can know the promise that you'll be in his presence in heaven forever with him. Let's all just pray this together. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing love for me. Thank you for dying on a cross for me to pay the price for my sin for anything I've ever done wrong or ever could do wrong. I ask you now to wash me, to cleanse me, to forgive me, and make me new. I invite you into my life. I want to live for you. I want to live for your purposes. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Has everyone still got their eyes closed? If you've prayed that prayer this morning, whether you're getting back on track with God this morning, or whether you've never ever prayed a prayer like that before, I just want you just to raise your hand, just so I can see it, because we'd just love to chat with you and pray with you afterwards. Is there anyone this morning? Don't miss your opportunity. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're so good. What a wonderful God you are. Use us for your glory. Lord, in all the glory, it does go to you. In every victory, Lord, that, that we have in life, Lord, all the glory goes to you. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. Use us for your purposes. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.